Should we do it? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> energy. This is the energy we need. Hello and welcome to In The Frame. Today's guest is Scott Hunter, who is currently starring as Max in the West End production of The Play That Goes Wrong at the Duchess Theatre. The Play That Goes Wrong is Mischief Theatre's crazy hit comedy, which premiered in 2012 on the London Fringe at the Old Red Line Theatre, moved to the Duchess Theatre in the West End in 2014, and despite its title, has been going right and strongly ever since. I love this show. I was so interested to speak to Scott and to find out their thoughts and experiences of going into it and doing their own thing with the role, finding their own funny, and uh, it was so great to have this conversation. Scott is an incredible performer. They have done so many incredible things over the years. They were named Best Newcomer in the Manchester Theatre Awards for their role as Stu in Yank the Musical. The show originally ran at the Hope Mill Theatre, then went to Charing Cross Theatre, and then Scott returned to it for the 10-year reunion concert in New York at 54 Below. Just a few of Scott's other theatre credits include playing Blaine in Cruel Intentions at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Something's Afoot, the musical, and originally joined Mischief Theatre for the first time when they played Mel in Magic Goes Wrong at the Apollo Theatre. We had this conversation while Scott was literally backstage at the Duchess preparing for a show. It was such a privilege and I loved every second. Scott spoke about so many incredible things from musical theatre to identity and being a non-binary performer working in the West End. Here's the interview. Scott Hunter, you're in the frame. Yes, I am. <laughs> how are you doing? Well, actually, how are you doing? And also, paint the picture. Like, where where actually are you right picture. now? I am in the Duchess Theatre in one of the dressing rooms. Um, I believe a dressing room, the dressing room refurb has been on the cards for many years. And apparently this year is the year. But it's it's cute. It's quaint. There's, it leaves a lot to the imagination. Uh, apparently there's asbestos in the walls, so we can't drill anything into the walls. Um, so it really humbles you. It really humbles you. <laughs> I actually, I went backstage at the Duchess, just when Play That Goes Wrong opened uh, to do some interviews. And oh, I mean, wow. it's so small back there. It's a tiny, tiny backstage, right? Yeah, it's Diddy. It's it's really sweet, though. It, it You know, it's absolutely a playhouse by by definition and by design it's quite adorable and it suits it suits this show so well it's got so much character to it and um and yeah and and how are you because you're in this role you've become this (laughs) west end play jumper oh it's ridiculous isn't it (laughs) it's insane it's incredible Mm, it's really bizarre it's really really bizarre um I try not to question it too much um I am obviously just full every day I'm just sort of swollen with gratitude it's it's something I never really 
thought truly I never really thought it would happen I think when I was a lot younger I did in that like sort of youthful naivety and then as you sort of get into the industry and you realize that there's just so many things stacked against you and uh, all of us um that are sort of bespoke to each person and universal for for a lot of us I never truly thought I don't I don't think deep in my bones that I would be in a western show I think I got to that point where I really really didn't believe it I thought I was sort of queen of the fringe queen of the off west end and was happy to be there to be honest um but then a magic goes wrong happened and then the play that goes wrong happened and I seem to have found a niche I seem to have found a lane I seem to have found a company who respect what I do and like me and there's no better feeling than having your hard work and the 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 the, <laughs> the, the grind and the graft be sort of reciprocated back to you with some kind of result it's so satisfying i feel so happy it's pure joy to be in comedy play plays as well it's I'm I'm smiling every day. Honestly, I'm still pin. I'm, you can probably tell I'm still sort of in disbelief, and I'm three months into this job, and I guess seven months is maybe seven months of into my career with mischief. More than that, eight months. Mm-hmm. I'm still sort of, I'm still like at a loss for words, at a loss mm-hmm. for cohesive answers. <laughs> You're well for that, considering that you're doing you're doing well. Although I wouldn't say it's a, you haven't found. I wouldn't say this is your niche. I feel like there's there's lots of things that you can do. As as we we'll talk about <laughs> as this goes on, this is just one. This is just one area, <laughs> one pocket. But um, <laughs> but I guess it was that funny thing where as we came out of those lockdowns, people that weren't in shows were struggling kind of with the thought of, oh, I don't have something to go back to. But mm. I guess the stars aligned and timing worked out and you found yourself going to Magic Goes Wrong at what was a crazy time where a lot of people were not working and had no hope of working. So it's mm. incredible. Yeah, I mean, to get work as an actor, you're grateful anyway, but specifically in the sort of framework of that huge that huge time where theatre felt almost sort of... Um, like apocalyptic it felt like it was an, a, a no person's land it felt like it was well it was it was barren to come out of that and get your western debut to be playing a role that was so authentically close to who I was and who I had decided to be open with um in the industry I couldn't have asked and I I, I have said it over and over I could not have asked for a better more perfect experience even though we were battling covid and we were battling working out what the relationship with the audience is in such an interactive audience audience interactive show i I should say um when covid was still is still affecting everyone's daily lives yeah but just again just gratitude 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 so when magic goes wrong came up how aware mm. of mischief theater were you had you seen magic goes wrong peter pan goes wrong planet goes wrong were you a fan mm. were you quite new to it where where were you at when it came on the cards yeah i was a big i was a big fan um i'd seen the play that goes wrong in its first year <clears throat> so i was in my first year of college when it when it came to the duchess in 2012 so i watched the original cast wow, um wow. the a- the apex and uh <laughs> and then 
from then I watched Peter Pan. I missed comedy because I was working. Um, and then I watched the TV shows. I didn't see Magic Goes Wrong before it, when it was at the Vaudeville, the first um, the first go at it. Um, so I knew of them. I knew of them. I was a huge fan of them. I don't know why I'm even going to pretend to be <laughs> coy because I walked in on the first day and I think I told all of them uh, with like shaking hands. Like, <laughs> I love you. I remember walking up to Nancy Zamet and she ridiculously, I still think it's the most ridiculous thing I've, I've ever known someone to do. She walked up, she went, hi, I'm Nancy. I, uh, it was so lovely, but I could have hit her. I thought, I know who you are. I'll, I'll tell you who I am. You don't know who I am. I'll wear a name badge. You don't have to remember it. You're Nancy Zamet. It was a, uh, it was incredible. So uh, yeah, I was a massive, massive, super fan of them. But had you been like, oh, this is quite cool. I want to do this one day because you were, you know, living your best MT life. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't at all. I didn't at all. No. There'd been a few MT performers do mischief shows before. Um, a, a lovely, a lovely man called Samuel Thomas was, I think he was the year below me or maybe two years. No, he was the year below me at Mount View. Uh, stupidly talented, offensively talented. And he did comedy about bank robbery. And I remember seeing that and being like, oh, wow. Okay. So this, you know, you can be musical theatre trained and get into a mischief show. And we're aware here, it happens less so in America, but we are aware here there is still a certain block for people who are musical theatre trained going into plays, less so than the other way. Um, yes. And and so that definitely was playing on my mind and I definitely just didn't really entertain it as something that I would do. Also a lot of the... I always thought my best skill set was to to play someone who was going to cry a lot <laughs> when I did Yank that was kind of the the second half of the play was a lot of crying and uh, that's wonderful I love that and I never thought of myself as funny never thought of myself as uh, as comedic and this mischief has really taught me and trained me in in believing that I can do comedy Hi, I'm Marcus Mazel, host of Past Present Feature, a filmmaker appreciation podcast showcasing new festival releases and the past films that inspired them. As a filmmaker myself, I started this podcast with the intention of building community while talking shop and to show love to past cinema that sparked a new wave of filmmakers to create the films of the future. Please like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media at Past Present Feature. Thank you for listening. Let's roll it. And how does that happen? Are they like, off you go? Are they like coaching you? Are you able to find your own things? How how do you find your funny within mm. these shows? That's a, that's a really brilliant question because... Should we talk about play that goes wrong specifically? Because yeah, that's like, yeah, an, let's obviously, that's, play. Let's obviously that's ongoing. It's interesting to have a long running play like this, which mm. is so funny and so high energy. Um, mm. And there's, they obviously know what works, but it needs to work for their actors that came in. So how did you find your funny? Yeah, it's so interesting because by you asking that, it's probably the first time I've thought about it in a sort of conscious way because they don't, it doesn't feel conscious. It doesn't feel deliberate in how they sort of train you. 
in finding you funny or coach you um, because it is so collaborative. I think a massive part of their success is how much they champion people finding their version of funny. So there are there are there are beats and 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 specific, obviously the lines, specific comedy beats, specific pauses, specific stunts that have to happen the same way each time, just like you get in any long running show, but also in a show that is uh, comedy because it's like music, you have to sort of, you have to sing the notes. Um, but just like music, and I think it's where, the, it's the way that I've been able to cross over, it's the way that I've been able to make sense of it, is that phrasing is up to you, tone, uh, volume, um, you can back phrase slightly. You can. There's so much more freedom in in it than to what maybe some people think. Um, so they'll they'll sort of be gentle nudges, but the in 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 a way of sort of this is this is something that does work. But please find something if 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 you think you can think of something funny. And I mean, what a job! I can barely even call it work because that <laughs> that's the rehearsal process just just give us something funny just find stuff that's funny like how 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 is that my job right now how is that a job it's just ridiculous we just get to come in every day and attempt to make each other laugh and that's kind of my that's my way in because like I said I don't necessarily consider myself a comedic person but I enjoy this sounds like a complete um juxtaposition but I enjoy making people laugh you know I enjoy making my friends laugh and uh I think specifically when I when I did magic luckily working so closely with Nancy and having Henry Lewis so sorry can you hear them yeah if you've got this, a is our, this is our this is our lovely wardrobe and uh, Anya who plays uh, Sandra Anya de Villiers I'm on an interview so I'm uh, yeah I'm just going to close these doors I'm so sorry <laughs> there we go I mean, it's great because it means Anya's really early, which is fantastic. You know, good, good professional. So, but yes, working specifically <laughs> with Nancy <laughs> was so helpful. And Hen- Henry Lewis was so helpful because just by watching them, you learn. But also they're so, they're so brilliant at sort of gently nudging you in a direction that they think might work. And also they have, they allow you so much freedom in terms of finding your version of do it. You, but do you generally just enjoy that or... Is it also slightly terrifying, the comedy of like, oh my God, am I funny enough? Because I think some people would really struggle with, oh, with that side of it. Yeah, do you know, it's, it's, it's a hugely um, audience-dependent show. We, we ha- the, 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 I mean, they say it with all mischief shows, the last, the last character is the audience. And it's so true because, you know, two weeks into rehearsal, everyone's seen the way that you do it or seen the way that you're stuck to sort of, discover it everyone's sort of on their own journey with trying to learn their tracks or our amazing swings are learning uh, swings covers are learning like four or five tracks so everyone's distracted so you deliver a line that was getting a laugh and it's no longer getting a laugh and suddenly that lovely little self-saboteur is like "Mm, you're not funny you don't deserve to be here Um, and I think that was intensified for me because I am from a world of musical theatre so I've come with a with a hang up slightly that oh I don't have the skill set for this but of course we do because like I've said there's a there's musicality to comedy but also the biggest 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 thing is just to play the truth that's all this is for these characters this is not a comedy this is a tragedy this is the murder at Havisham Manor they have worked for weeks to put this show on and to their knowledge 
this first night, their opening night, is going to go splendidly. They've done a great dress run. It's all gone well. Here we go. Let's show this audience what we've been working on. And as the title suggests, many things don't go correctly. Many things go wrong. <laughs> Look at you out here with the PR spin. Oh my God, someone read the packet. <laughs> <laughs> and is it hard, as in exhausting? I've watched this show and I've left absolutely knackered from laughing <laughs> and wheezing. And it's technical and you know, the set does cool things and you're throwing yourself around that stage and there's mm. stunts and like, are you knackered? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for the honest response. It's it's really intensely physical. Um, so much of the comedy sort of harkens back to Monty Python, Forty Towers. They're really, really precisely timed stunts that we have to do. Um, there's a there's mime. There's uh, falling from things, there's crashing through things. And it is really challenging uh, physically, but there's such a, and it's going to sound so cliche, but there's such a feel that comes from the audience reaction when you hear someone, you know, um, a gasp or laugh or, you know, you hit. You sort of can hear the the palpable worry for us mm. for being injured. But that's what mischief do so beautifully is you, we play on this line always of real what feels like real danger, but it's enough. There's enough safety in it that the audience are able to laugh, and that really helps you get through the the, the demanding parts of the show. But definitely, my body is is slightly more broken than it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wanted to touch on representation and your mm. non-binary and I just saw right that you shared on Twitter Isaac illegally blonde who's out oh there smashing it I um, yeah sorry go on no no you go on what are you gonna say <laughs> no I, well I was I'm just completely diverting the narrative of this podcast to become like a an Isaac Hesketh uh, like an appreciation podcast I just love that person so very much but please get back to, please get back to this <laughs> I you're saw so legally, good at this you're keeping I saw, me tethered <laughs> I saw Legally on Saturday and they were amazing um, so but tell me about representation within this industry and you touched on earlier when you decided to be who you are within this industry almost makes it sound like a whole another level of um coming out or explaining who you are to people when it's in this mm. kind of work context and I guess mm. you do think about implications of career and well casting people and producers and that whole world and mm -hmm. how and we've got a long way to go but thank goodness we have people like Mischief I guess who are casting their shows the way they should be in, in different ways essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah I I feel very Again, grateful. That's going to be the buzzword of 2022 <laughs> for me. But I, I do. I, I, I feel so grateful that they were. They've cast me and then cast me again. Uh, that the cast of the play that goes wrong currently looks the way that they do. Um, I'm. I'm supremely proud to be part of this cast specifically, um, because it is so 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 diverse, and it brings so many different 
elements to the characters, to the storytelling, to the comedy um, that potentially audiences wouldn't have seen before. Um, and it also puts those people back in control of those things being used for comedic effect. Ash Blackwood um, uses a Jamaican accent as uh, Annie. And that puts her in control of what people are laughing at. Whereas before that's so historically been used as, um, you know, my brain's going to things like Little Britain. It's been used with those people outside of the room not being allowed in those rooms and for me there are moments where I can use parts of my femininity and parts of my femme presentation in the comedy and I'm in control of that and that's the really important part is that we the, the people in society and, and within this industry as a microcosm who have been othered are now taking back power and using the parts that they are comfortable to use for whatever comedy for storytelling for a, a sickening dance move um we are in control of it we are in control of it and, and more and more that that's shifting um to be the first openly non-binary actor within mischief is is it does feel like pressure it does feel like something that I really need to, I feel like I need to do something with that. And sometimes I don't know if that's right or wrong, but personally, that's how I feel. I don't think I'm the spokesperson for non-binary actors and non-binary people because we're it's not homogenous, but if I can make the transition or the experience of rehearsals or playing roles or being part of this company and spe you know, specifically this company, if I can make that, process more comfortable for someone else who comes in who is not necessarily fitting within the, the standard gender norm or within the gender binary then I feel like I've done a I'll have done a good job and mischief are doing the work they are mm. putting their hands up and they are being accountable and they are apologizing and they are <laughs> they are putting people who have that lived experience in the positions where they can then help the company which is what has to happen yeah yeah. the only yeah. way what well, that's in, that's incredible though that you are out here doing those things and using that platform i did um i had i did a podcast with beth hinton lever the other week um mm -hmm. amazing disabled actor and mm. she was we were talking about the double-edged sword of how it's amazing when she's the first disabled actor to achieve x y and z but also it's really hard because she shouldn't be the first person and she's constantly being reminded that she is and that she yeah. didn't have those role models, et cetera. But at the same time, it's yeah. brilliant that she's able to be a role model and have those conversations. So it's, she was kind of saying it's this funny double-edged sword, two, mm. kind of two sides thing. I think it's really interesting because I've gone from playing in Magic, I've gone from playing a non-binary part as a non-binary actor. And when it was first offered to me, the, the, or when the audition first came up, the role could be played by any gender, but was not specifically non-binary. Mm. And through my being in that role and in that job and speaking and having also the company being receptive to it, that part now, forever and always, will be listed as a non-binary part. Wow. That, I mean, that, like, 
shivers all over my body. That makes lump in my throat. That makes lots of emotions move. But it also, as you say, then it also means, well, now I'm playing a cisgendered person in, in Max. Max is male presenting or has always been male presenting pronouns in script will be he him whereas in with with mel in magic goes wrong they then forward slash you know open to whoever the person is that eventually plays mel again um but it it, it i understand that double-edged sword and there's so many edges to that sword that it's fantastic that i got to play mel and it be that but then does that mean that I've definitely had an internal struggle with them playing a a, a a heteronormative part, but there aren't enough roles for people like me. There aren't enough roles. So we have to do that until there are more. And then we have beautiful things like Isaac playing in Legally Blonde and we have people like Bethany Terry in, in Cabaret. We have these beautiful people who are, yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic. There's so much work to do, and it's such a it's a longer conversation than we probably have. But personally, for me, I feel very proud of what's happened with mischief and where they're moving towards because I think it's the way that the industry should be moving. hundred percent. Yes. Here. 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 Queer. People, queer. People can't see me now sipping that iced coffee. I know. I'm such such a stereotype. <laughs> You know what's awful as well is someone brought me that. Like they, they <laughs> brought it, they like hand came through that little sliding door, yeah. like apologetically, and it just kind of appeared. And I was like, oh, that looks awful. That looks so bad. To clarify, this beautiful Johar Ben Aid. And uh, he plays Dennis and he's absolutely fantastic. And we share a dressing room and we constantly buy each other little gifts. <laughs> I don't, I don't have an assistant. It's not your, yeah, it's not your, your assistant coming. Your PA no. comes to deliver you. Sorry. My PA. <laughs> um, I want to rewind a little bit. Um, yeah. I want to know who was Scott Hunter, the Mountview student? Oh my goodness. What was happening in that time? Wow. What was your ambition? What did you want? What was mm. happening? Golly gosh. Um, do you know, I turned 29 on Monday. It was my birthday on Monday. Happy and birthday. Thank you very much. I'll wait for your gift. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely joking. Um, I, What's my hand my comes through with like a nice, yeah, with a nice last set? Like the ring. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this, this is this is the gift I, i'm so again so happy to be on this but uh it's yeah it was a massive time or I, I try and use my birthday as a time to sort of reflection a bit like people do for like new years and things and uh it's it's wild to think of of who i was in drama school um at mountview i was incredibly ambitious i was incredibly hard working um i had I think I had the belief that I was and could be a very truthful actor and acting has always been at the forefront of everything that I do because without it, um, if, if I'm not, if I'm not completely in the headspace of someone else, then I'm myself on stage and, and that's not, that's not good. I'm, I'm learning a lot and have been learning a lot about self-worth and self-confidence because I think it's something that people 
presume actors and performers have inherently and actually it's usually the opposite and that was a big thing in Mount View and uh and there's a lot of talk about the institution of drama schools and how much work needs to be changed and some people don't believe in them however for me personally I couldn't be where I was where I am sorry without where I was in drama school <clears throat> I didn't have the skill set uh I'm from no no money and as we know, this industry is quite an elitist game. And without... Whereabouts are you from? I'm from a place called Lower Early in Reading, okay. which uh, is in the Royal County of Berkshire. And it's actually quite, I would say it's quite posh, um, but we were not. It's a very mixed bag. Um, and I couldn't have gone to Mountview without the Dada that I received, the scholarship, at the t- at, which I think have apparently changed. But I got on one of those and thank goodness because I could not have afforded drama, afforded drama school and that's a whole di- again that's a whole different conversation but because also of growing up without the money to be able to pay for singing lessons or go to dance lessons or acting tuition etc etc it wasn't until my gap year where I started to earn my own money that I could pay for those things and then then therefore I got into Mount View again on the scholarship and without the training that they gave me there I would not have gotten a single job. I'm not naturally gifted as a singer. I am not a naturally gifted dancer, but I will work very, very hard and continue to work very, very hard. And my training there is it was invaluable. I still go back to it as my building blocks and my foundation. And what I think Mountview did champion was in in the way that they could in the time that it was when I went, I'm acting like I went in the 1950s, but you know, 2012 was a while ago now um they championed difference they encouraged us to think about ourselves as leading roles or as characters um as storytellers as actors and for that i i have to i can only thank them because i couldn't be where i am now without that without that training i'm so surprised to hear you say that you weren't a confident singer and because you just jumped into these you're like you know you were out here giving us yak the musical big old show <laughs> amazing musical i would never have known yeah i don't know I, I think when you go when you the downside of going to drama school is you're overexposed to so many talented people um and sometimes that can negate how you feel about yourself but actually you know more than you know, two two things can be true at once. So and so could be amazing and and belt up to a high C, and I have a lovely baritone voice. That those two things are worthy. But it's it's taken some time to think about that. We, we also have to look at the landscape of musical theatre, and the shows that are coming out, and the scores specifically that are coming out. Um, and I'm here to talk about bass and baritone representation. These these scores are too high. They're too high. Uh, <laughs> And so I true. I always, I always say this. We don't have bass and baritone. We don't. We don't have like uh, soprano roles either. Like legit soprano. Like we just kind of. I, I like. Don't get me wrong. I love a high belt. <laughs> but I do <laughs> want to hear other things we as well. Need... That's it. That's it. And and that's why I, I love where I'm at right now. That I, am able to watch musicals whilst being in a play (laughs) and appreciate and fall back in love with musical theatre 
but I would love, I would love things to be a little bit more varied. And I'm boring. I love not, no, I'm not boring. I'm not boring, actually. I'm not going to do that. See, self-work. I love a legit musical. I love a legit musical. I love it. Oh, God, I love it. What are we talking? What are we talking? Oh, gosh, I love it. I mean, one of the favourites... And this is and this is the thing. I understand. I understand that time has they've not stood the test of time. A lot of them. My goodness, my goodness. <laughs> but uh, I, I love a carousel. I love a carousel. I, I. Oh God, sound of music. It's like it will always put my heartstrings. But but that's probably because of nostalgia. But then again, I went and saw Six the other day, and I thought again, it was the most outstanding thing I've ever seen. So I I think I just love all of it. But definitely for musical theatre, bass and baritones and altos. (laughs) We just need a few more roles for us. We need a few more things that we can sing. But I like that there's been movement towards like things being taken down, not just for like huge, massive Broadway stars and huge West End stars, but just for the person who's right for the role. Keys are being shoved around, things are being moved. And again, that's, that's about not it being equality. That's about equity. That's about different people getting different things for them to be able to do the role mm. as to the best of their ability. Mm. And I think that should include, in certain circumstances, keys. <laughs> I am so here. This is one of my favorite. We've raised some really important issues. Of this episode. Yeah, I've completely strayed from any questions and I've barely spoken about the play that goes wrong, but no, I we've, think we've made we've some really covered. points. The play that goes wrong is amazing. Everyone is going to rush to come and see it because it is so good. They're going to go and see it again. But I want to know about um, I want to know about Yank, having said what you just said then. I mean, it's fair to mm. say, right, that Yank was a really big moment for you. Yep. And yeah. that kind of pit, I was like, who is Scott Hunter? Um, I came and saw it at Cross <laughs> Theatre. I was like, who is oh. this person? Um, and it was just so perfect. It was just so good. Did you, wh- wh- where you were then, were you able to take that in? Did that feel like a big achievement? And people don't know, like, obviously you were at the Hope Mill Theatre, then you came to Chang Cross and then a few years later, you got to take it to New York and go and do a concert of it at 54 Below. But it was just so celebrated and so loved and so amazing. Mm. Uh, yeah, God, it's it was, I don't know how to describe it. It was like a, like a great undoing. It was like a meteor hit my, my planet and just erased all life and then everything had to regrow and it was... That, for all the brilliant reasons and for all the sort of tragic reasons it it challenged me more than I'd ever been challenged it was a huge part I didn't leave the stage there were there was so much to learn when we did it up at the Hope Mill I think we had four weeks which was unreal unreal actually when I think about it and if I were to challenge well I probably would make it work now but youth was definitely on my side I'm speaking like I'm 50 but <laughs> it's what it did for me as a performer if I speak like pragmatically what it did for me as a performer was invaluable it made people look at me very differently it made people actually see me and again this is a slight gripe I have with the industry that until you've sort of 
proven yourself and this is a podcast but i'm doing i'm doing inverted, inverted what commerce. are these called thank inverted you commerce, yeah. thank you so much um until you've proven yourself you're sort of invisible and i actually saw it happen in practice and being sort of on that side of it was really interesting um and a little disheartening um but also very very brilliant because i was getting seen for things that i wasn't being seen for before um i think i proved my own uh point like my it proved it proved it to myself that i was the actor that i thought i was um and i think it proved it to other you people conquered, uh, you conquered which, this beast yeah mm, absolutely um and it stretched me further than anything i've i've had to do before or i had to do before and probably will have to do since as, as far as the dramatic role goes and then as a person as a queer person god it's it's so hard to describe it and it's and it's so lovely when people when when you find out people have seen it or did see it um because we we you know we had we did have a lot of audiences come in we did have a lot of people see it but we also had a lot of people miss it and for the, for the for the gay community specifically i think it was very important i think it was an example of how specifically gay cis male love can be powerful as powerful as we've seen it was something that i i even though i was in it i wish i'd had it to watch when i was younger because yeah, i think yeah. i would have un- understood that to men or two people of the same sex to make it more universal can can experience that love for what for all of the colors that sort of love brings um yeah there's there's a there's a line in it where right at the end he uh there's like a narrator part that he also played right at the beginning right at the end again if you didn't see it it's kind of hard to describe but it follows the journey of stew who was a World War II soldier in the in, in the American forces, and he falls in love with an, another American soldier. And um, we discover this story at the start with a narrator in the modern day who finds the journals of Stu. And we go through and we follow Stu's story. And then right at the end, we we meet the narrator again, and he says, you know, what he's he kind of says what he's learned from from reading this story, from the story that the audience have just witnessed. And he says he taught me how to love freely and with no time to waste and that line I, I was I may as well have it tattooed but there's no point it's in my brain and forever will be because that was such an outstanding and astounding thing to read as a queer person love freely and with no time to waste it's so important and we're so seldom taught how to love other people but my gosh how to love ourselves and it it was monumentous for me and like you said then as 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 a performer for it to take me up to manchester which is a great city and a great city for theater and it does so much to sort of self-fund itself the theater in manchester and keep it within that city hub it's so beautiful and so community driven then to bring me down to my first real off west end theater just off the strands like a stone's throw away from the the west end um, and the Charing Cross Theatre, having had so many brilliant shows there before and 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 since, and then over to New York, where I got to meet 
the original off-Broadway cast and got to speak uh, to them and, and exchange stories. It's been the gift that keeps on giving. And I think it's, if it ever comes around again, if you, if, if any, if any performers, if any choreographers, if any directors, stage management, lighting designers, costume designers, set designers, front of house people see it come up, go up for it, go up for it because it is a, it's a show that deserves even more recognition than it already has got, mm. which is not enough. Mm. Do you know what else I saw you in? Wow. <laughs> Don't look scared. Oh, I am terrified. What? At Edinburgh Fringe, I came to Cruel Intentions. Did we meet? No. Oh my gosh, why didn't you come and say hello? I was probably running to another show. Yeah, I bet you were actually. Uh, yes, Cruel Intentions. <laughs> Which was the wildest thing ever. It was insane. I I mean, I am so blessed to have had the variation in characters that I've had. Because I, <laughs> Yank was like, you know, uh, a gay guy discovering one that he is gay and then learning to love that about himself and to feel empowered about himself with the backdrop of the, the Second World War. And then I got to play Blame in Cruel Intentions, who was this powerfully queer, uh, sort of dumb, femme. He was just utterly in charge and empowered and empowered by their queerness. Who got to basically order around and be in, in charge of this like huge muscle jock who uh, in our iteration was played by Dean John Wilson. Oh god, I was so lucky, and it was an absolute riot from start to finish. Start to finish, it's totally. I mean, if you watch the film, it's utterly insane. Anyway, it's such a cult film because of the insanity and the sort of like um, the largeness of character, the largeness of like I don't know, it, like intention and, and deviance. But then to add music to it and to add dance to it and costume and lights and actors getting to just like <laughs> have a great time. Oh, I want it to come back so much. I think I was literally like, I was like, again, wait, who is this person? And I was like, oh, it's Scott Hunter. I saw mm. I saw them in Yank. Like, oh, I see. I was I was I didn't immediately make the association. Well, I was bleach blonde in that as well. So it was a little bit hard to, to tell. I looked a little different. <laughs> Listen, we could literally talk for hours. But you I have, really enjoyed it. You have to go do shows. Well, do you know what? You're going to have to come into the studio at some point and come and do our other podcast, The West End Frame Show, where we chat about what's happened in theatre that week and just go off on more tangents and misbehave even more because I think that's got your name written all over it and there'll be a Western Frame mug with your name on it waiting for you you have to pinky promise me that through Zoom Oh, because I want to come back in listen if you're you're game we will make it happen book me in I'm there (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) Um, everyone needs to come see the play that goes wrong right it's the best show it's so much fun people will love it yes please come and watch the play that goes wrong it's it's a brilliant comedy farce, a play within a play, who you get to fall in love with these in, these brilliant characters who are just trying their best to put a show on. And unfortunately, chaos, hilarity, and so many things going wrong ensues. 
<laughs> you're selling it. You're selling it. Listen, you're amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Scott. I love your work. Goodbye. Thank you. You can see Scott as Max in the play that goes wrong at the Duchess Theatre, currently booking all the way through to the 3rd of April 2023. Thank you so much to Scott for taking time out of their day pre-show to record this episode of In The Frame. If you're enjoying this season, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button. You can leave us an Apple podcast rating or review. You can also leave a, a, a rating on Spotify now actually as well. That would be incredible. And um, make sure you check out our other podcast, The West End Frame Show, for your weekly stagey catch-up. You can stay up to date with all things West End Frame on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And I'll be back next week with an international theatre icon who blew my mind when they joined me on a Zoom call to do a podcast. Um... That's all I'm going to say for now. I'll see you next week. Until then, thank you for listening. Scott Hunter. I'm back. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like mid-hysterical laugh. And as I look back at the screen, you were frozen. I was like, oh, no. I hate Zoom. <laughs>